Mine's good. Life good! Got real close. Got hair high, right? Trying to hit two thirds. Have they saved it for her? Yes, they have! Welcome to Game of Stones, everybody. I am Sean Graham from the Ottawa Curling Club. We are here live on a Monday night. So we have the open ladder behind us. I'm here with my brother Scott. Hey, Scott. Hey, Sean. How are you doing tonight? Doing okay. How about you? I am ready to talk about this exciting Scotty's Tournament of Hearts yeah. wrap-up. Yes, so that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to wrap it up. We'll talk briefly about the men's finals that we watched yesterday, but we'll save a lot of that for the Briar preview in a couple weeks. So let's get into it. Jennifer Jones, as predicted on this show, is your 2018 National Women's Champion. Yeah, it's uh, sort of what we all thought going in, and... You know, uh, with maybe the Shannon Burchard being thrown into that lineup, giving them a bit of bit of trouble, but no such no such trouble. They managed to play well, like we all know they can, and pulled a big win out. Yeah, that game last night in the final against Carrie Anderson was closer than I might have expected, to be honest. Uh, coming down to the end there, as it did, but certainly this the result of Jennifer Jones winning not much of a surprise. The way in which the week played out, maybe a little bit. So let's go through the playoffs game by game real quick. All right, let's do it. As we do this. So we talked before the playoffs started on Saturday. Yep. And you thought that Kerry Anderson would go 0-2 in the playoffs. Uh, You also thought that in that 3-4 game, which of course was played first, that Tracy Fleury would win. And yet Marianne Arsenault comes out on top, as I predicted. (laughs) Well, Sean, uh, <laughs> I'm really happy that you have a crystal ball and you're able to predict things perfectly. Maybe I was more hoping, knowledge, for, hoping for the moose there. But Marianne Arsenault, she continued her hot streak and really played well all weekend. Yeah. Uh, so, but if we focus on this three-four game, I mean, she had hammer. She controlled the game. A lot of blanks early on. Yep. And managed to get her deuce when she needed. Forced, then took three, and the game was pretty much over from there. Yeah. So the the blanks. The, the thing that's interesting, that so she blanks the first three ends, and what you see a lot of times, if you can do this to someone like Jennifer Jones particularly, the other skip can get frustrated. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Tracy Fleury, younger team, obviously they want to win, they want to push forward, and they want to probably mix it up a little bit. So having those blank ends, I, I wonder if there is a level of frustration that, overcomes, that, that takes over that team and maybe push a little too hard to make something happen and maybe lose patience a little bit. And Marianne Arsenault can go 2-1-3, and really the game's over at that point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I hadn't really thought about that. Uh, I was hoping that Crystal, Weber, uh, Crystal Webster yeah. would be sort of that calming influence on the young team. You know, she's played a lot. She's got a lot of experience. And I, th- I thought she would be the one that would be able to keep them under control for the most part all week. She did. She made big shots when she needed to. Yep. And they just didn't have enough against the red-hot team from Dartmouth. They didn't. So, Marin Arsenal wins. Then we go to Saturday night, which, based on the stuff I read, wasn't the biggest crowd. It looked like the biggest crowd on TV hmm. on Saturday night. Interesting. I, we preview of what was eventually, of course, a preview of the final. Jen Jones, Carrie Anderson, comes down to the 10th end. Yeah, tied in the t- uh, going into the 10th, and Jen Jones had hammer, 
and uh, took care of business. Yeah, so let's talk about the setup here because the end of the end was very interesting. It was an interesting setup, you're right. So Jen Jones has won just top button, looking down, sort of just to the left of the center line. Top button, left of the center line a bit. Kerry Anderson has won top four. Top four, sort yeah. Sort of made right on the center line, maybe a bit to the right of the center line. She elects to play the tap to the freeze yeah. on Jen Jones' stone. So she, and she makes it perfectly. Yeah, a bit controversial. She makes what she calls, but what she what she called the right call. Right, because what ends up happening is Jen Jones goes around the stone, the shooter that was left, basically parallel to her own, and Carrie Anderson doesn't have a shot. Yeah, now you might say, okay, was that the right shot? Because if Jennifer Jones does make that shot, then of course you have nothing. But let's not take away the fact that that was a very, very difficult draw that Jennifer Jones made on, yeah. her, on her shot there. Yeah, it's the shot that if you're walking the stone down, that's where you put it. Yeah. And you can't put it an inch deeper or an inch higher. You put it right there. But she put it there. She did. Right? She's arguably the greatest women's player of all time, if not maybe the greatest player of all time. Mm-hmm. Or she's in the category, certainly. So maybe if you're Carrie Anderson, you don't want to bank on a miss. Sure, but would you rather have her throwing that very difficult draw or in the case where you tap your rock to tap the the opponent's stone, a pretty easy wide open double? Well, I, but I, would it be a wide open double? Wouldn't she... I, my guess is if you tap Jen Jones back, then the double that she's playing includes her own and she's just trying to blast everything. And then you have one just sort of quarter into the top four and then you can put another one. I was thinking she could hit the one top four and and slash the two out. Get the two out of there. You might be able to do that, but then you're playing a freeze on your next one onto that one that you've now tapped behind the T line. So what's harder for your opponent? Is it harder to make that draw that Jennifer Jones did end up making, or is the hit harder? And I would argue that the draw is harder. Make her throw it, and she made it. And she made it. It was absolutely, it was an incredible shot. It, it really was. Yeah, very exciting. Yeah, and so Jen Jones wins that game, and that sets up, sets up the semifinal, which I think is the game of the tournament. You know what? I, I don't disagree, and, and so much so that I got home from work today, and I watched that crucial fifth end again. Yeah, Why don't so, you set that up for Okay, us? so so this is, a, the, the whole game was crazy. So in the fifth end, now, again, it's Marion Arsenault, Nova Scotia against Wildcard and Carrie Anderson. The game starts, Anderson gets a deuce, three for Nova Scotia, three back for Anderson, three back again for Nova Scotia. Nova Scotia. So it's 6-5 playing the fifth end. Carrie Anderson has the hammer. On Marion Arsenault's last rock, Carrie Anderson is sitting two with a one sort of center guard-ish. Center guard. Just there, a few yeah. feet in front of the house. Marion Arsenault has a hawkline violation on her last rock. Yeah, I'd say a turning point of the whole tournament there. Yeah, and it's a, and you know people have complained about these handles before that the handles malfunction sometimes. Remember when we were at the Scotties in Montreal, there was a big controversy with the New Brunswick team that they were angry. They got into like a ten-minute argument with the officials over the the stones and the the handles because they thought it was just malfunctioning the official said well no we don't think it is it was a pretty big controversy and there's been issues with them in the past but this one was legit like on the replay her hand was still on the stone yes this this was a hog line violation it was it would it have been one that would have been caught by a volunteer sitting at the hog line questionable questionable yeah but there is no doubt that it was a hog line violation and what it set up was a 
pretty tricky shot, not impossible given that it was made, for Carrie Anderson to split in that tight center guard for a big four spot. Yeah. Now she threw the perfect weight. Her sweepers uh, were calling out the weight all the way down. They were doing a great job. She she made this made the shot. Yeah, and for a team that apparently doesn't like each other, right? That was a really well executed shot all around. That was a team, shot. very big team shot. And so somehow, in a semifinal of a national championship, we're in a situation where it's nine six after five ends. It was pretty insane. Now you know, looking back at those first few ends, in order to get those threes, there were misses on both sides mm-hmm. by by Anderson and by Marion Arsenault. So, as, along with the rest of the team, of course. Right. So, you know, it wasn't uh, superly or super well-executed curling happening. It was, you know, mistakes here and there, allowing stones to accumulate and giving chances for those multiple points. Right, but when somebody misses, you still have to take advantage of the miss. And we saw that in that game. The game settled down in the second half a little bit, but still no blank ends. No blank ends. I I felt like Carrie Anderson was sort of taking what she had and running with it, sort of saying, yeah. uh, we escaped something really that could have been really bad here, so we're just going to play defensive and get it a dodge. Right, and she did it well, right? And certainly that's been a criticism of her game, that she hasn't been able to do that mm-hmm. in the past, but she did it here, and I, I definitely think the game of, of the weekend – and certainly Vic was lathered up during that game. He was oh, you, into it. You know it. You know Vic, it. Vic was having a great time. And that brings us to that final last night. And Jen Jones wins in like, a game that... Okay, here. Okay, we, we can talk about this, but going up against the Super Bowl, we double-screened all night. So we had the Super Bowl on one screen, the Scotties on the other screen. I found it hard to concentrate on either, right? It was sort of hard going back and forth. Well, Sean, you're... You're not a, a true millennial, then. You you should be able to multitask. Well, I'm an analyst, and I really want to be able to oh, yeah, focus yeah. in on the one thing. But whatever. <laughs> okay, so uh, here's my impressions of the game from watching on a split screen yeah. and, and dividing my focus. Uh, I noticed that this was definitely not the best game Manitoba played all week. But right. I think it's indicative of how much better they were than the rest of the field, mm-hmm. that even though it wasn't their best game, they were able to pull it out in the end. They, okay. you know, they made some mistakes early. Not everyone was making shots, but Jennifer Jones was able to show up and make the big shots when she needed to, especially at the end with her first shot there in 10. She obviously didn't have to throw her second. Right. But by putting the rock in the spot that she did, Carrie Anderson had no shot. No, she really didn't have a shot. And, and you look at the second half of the game, that I mean, Carrie Anderson gets the deuce in two, and then she's forced in four. She gets a steal in five, but forced in seven and nine. So I mean, that's how you win games. That's it. You force them to one, and you take your deuce. Yeah. So the the second half of the game, it goes Jones. Go, Jones gets two and six, force of one. She gets a two and eight, force of one, two and ten. And even though she was down at the break, having given up the deuce and a steal, she can come back and win somewhat comfortably. Yeah, she knew that what she needed to do was was be able to force Anderson and then just take advantage of what she could when she had Hammer. And you know what? She was able to do it. Yep. And, you know, had the Hammer come in home tied, 
just like in the page one versus two game, and was able to take advantage and put the rocks where they needed to go. Yeah, and that's why she's won 19 of the 20 games she's played against Carrie Anderson. That's right, that's right. And uh, let's not gloss over this, but Jennifer Jones and Jill Officer winning their sixth Scotty's titles last yeah. night. Very impressive. So that ties in with Colleen Jones. That's right. For the most ever, and I don't know. I, I So I, at the trials, I was there when they lost, we were both there, when Jen Jones lost. I talked to Jen Jones a couple times in the media scrum area. Mm-hmm. I got the sense at the trials that she was done, that this was her last year. Now, I was watching also the post-game media scrum from last night, and she did say, what a thing to do on our last year together as a team. Oh. Now, I might have misheard this. I only listened once. Okay. But it's sort of... Uh, sprung out at me like, whoa, this that's like a bombshell, right? Right. So, you know, it could be that this is their last go-round, and I would be surprised if they didn't want to come back as Team Canada next year, given a free berth into the into the Scotties, although it is in but- Sydney, Nova Scotia in <laughs> February, so maybe not. And they have nothing to play for. They really don't. Like, it, I don't think, no one's going to begrudge any of them if they want to just stop. The only one that would be a surprise would be Caitlin Laws. Of course. Right, yeah. of course she wasn't there. But the other three, they, they've won all the things. They have won all the things. And they, they're not really young anymore. I mean, they're young, but not... They're not you know, athlete young? As young as they used to be. Probably have other interests they want to do and not get up at 6 in the morning and go throw rocks. So, yeah. you know, like you said, they've won everything they, they can. And if this is it for them... I applaud them as they walk into uh, into the sunset. But, <laughs> but yeah, we'll see what happens at the World Championship. Obviously, Jen Jones' his record at the World Championship is not that stellar. You know, you have to be really good to get there as much as she's been there. But uh, she hasn't won as many World Championships as I think most casual fans would have expected, given the number of Scottish she's won. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in North Bay, particularly because see how that field gets rounded out. And who gets sent from the various countries. Obviously, the Swiss team, whoever it is, is going to be very good. They're Mm -hmm. probably the deepest country after Canada at this point. Definitely. uh, At least on the women's side. And the rest of the field, who knows? Who gets sent? Yeah, because with it being an Olympic year, you know, this this might be the year that some countries opt to send a junior team who's on the rise, a secondary team who doesn't always get the chance Mm -hmm. to make it out of their country. So, yeah, it remains to be seen what will happen. Yeah, so maybe she goes, and if it's a slightly weaker field than normal, maybe she has a Rachel Holman-type domination, go through undefeated, just win, and then it won't take long after the World Championship, regardless of the result, to know what's happening. By the time they get to the Players' Championship, I don't know if they've qualified for the Humpty's Cup yet or not, but if they play in that, like I think we'll know by the time we get to those events. Yeah, I'd say you're right about that. And, you know, like like we said, either way, uh, I think Jennifer Jones is, she's certainly one of the most decorated women's curlers in Canadian history. As you said before, arguably the best, and arguably the best overall curler, men or yeah. women. Yeah. Absolutely. This sort of the domination that she's had um, is really remarkable, and just what she's been able to do, and over such a long period of time, you know. Yeah, very. Yeah, the longevity is impressive, mm-hmm. and not. I mean, yeah, people can curl for a long time. Obviously, we saw Michelle Anglot. Her first Scotty was were in the late '80s, mm-hmm. and she was there this week. But 
not at the same level consistently as Jen Jones. No. Has been able to do it. No, now, Jen sure. Jones hasn't done it as long. I mean, she's 15 years younger than Michelle Angelotta or whatever it is, but so maybe if she keeps going, she could, but we'll wow, see what happens. Wow, Sean, I think we're going to have to ch- fact check you on uh, Jennifer Jones' age versus Michelle Angelotta's age, too. But Okay, uh, well, yeah, let's fact, we can fact check that. Well, um, okay, we'll talk about that another time. But, yeah, but I... I'm pretty sure it's at least a decade. Um, anyway, so let's um, let's get to the overall impressions of the week that was. We talked a little bit about this Saturday, but now that it's over, you can look back on it. The thing that stuck out most for me during the week were the empty seats hmm. in the stands. So I did go and look at the attendance figures for the past five Scotties. Okay. And this one was the third most attended out okay. of the five. Out so it's right in the middle, five. out of the past five. So this year, obviously, Penticton. Last year, St. Catharines, Grand Prairie 2016, Moose Jaw 2015, and Montreal in 2014. And surprisingly to me, Grand Prairie was the least attended out of these. Hmm. At just over 36,000 for the event, Montreal just over 39,000. Mm-hmm. Then you had uh, this year in Penticton, at 55,000. Last year in St. Catharines was 56,000, and Moose Jaw was 70,000. Obviously, size of building matters in this, mm-hmm. of course, but they said last night was about 3,800 in the, the piece I read. So, not bad. That, that pretty would pretty much be capacity for that building based on what it looked on TV, at least. So well, most Scotty's events are played in uh, five to 6,000 seat venues. Yeah. So, you know, 38 is not bad. I, I definitely think prox- like population density within these areas has something to do with it. Grand Prairie is uh, quite far from almost anything. Right. Penticton, yeah, it's close to Kamloops and uh, the rest of the valley there. So there's a bit of a population to draw from. But uh, when, I, when we talk about Montreal, you know, it surprises me a bit that there wasn't more people there. It was an Olympic year. The same as this year, you know, the event is a couple weeks earlier. That could affect people who are planning travel, yeah. who usually go at the same time every year, perhaps. So when you said it was the middle of the pack, that did surprise me a little bit because it on TV looked to be a bit looked more really empty. empty. Yeah. But, uh, but I mean, I, I would still call it a successful event. Uh, it seemed like everybody who went had fun. Yeah, for and, the most part. Uh, yeah. As Vic mentioned, there's lots of wineries there, so even if you wanted to go cur- to the curling, you might have got distracted over on the Naramata bench uh, <laughs> sampling some, some good wines. Yeah, so, so attendance obviously wasn't as big a deal. Now, the article I read did say uh, tickets distributed, not necessarily tickets sold. So, you know, when they, have the ki- they bring the kids on the weekday mornings, I wonder how much those cost yeah. or if they're completely just by Curling Canada paper in the house I don't know mm-hmm. uh, but I also don't know for these other years in terms of giveaways and all that so uh, attendance perhaps not as big of an issue as maybe we thought during the week the other thing that's gotten a lot of attention this week is the format so there was an article in the Winnipeg Free Press mm-hmm. uh, that went up last night basically ripped the format that this is not the way to do it that it diminished the excitement that they didn't like it Jen Jones went on the record she doesn't like it a lot of the curlers expressed frustration with it. Sherry Anderson noted that you don't see people from the other draw. They're on different hotel floors. You just never interact with them at all. So it didn't feel like a Scotty's. And a lot of fans are saying, why are 
why are we going to this length to get a, a team from the Yukon and a team from Nunavut we'll go and go 0-7 people don't like the wild card format mm-hmm. having that team there which I don't fully understand but what are your, what's your takeaway from the, the format? Because we're seeing it again in we're, a month. We're definitely seeing it again in a month at the Briar. We talked about it a bit on Saturday. And, you know, excluding Nunavut and Yukon, I don't think is the way to do it. There is a way to do it with five sheets. We see five sheets at all of these tour events. We yeah. know it's possible to put five sheets in the building. Yep. So I think you could do some kind of a round robin with... 15 teams or 14 teams to enable a full a full draw if you have five sheets. It's a lot more games, though. It's a lot more games, but if the players are already not that happy with the format the way it is... Make them play. Make them, make play, them play more. 14 games. I mean, yeah, listen. It's already a grueling week playing 11 games. Yeah. For the teams that are out of it after seven games... Do they really want to stick around and play those games anyway? Right. Maybe, yeah, to get more ice experience and more interaction and camaraderie with the rest of the crew. Right. So this is what the article in the Winnipeg Free Press was arguing. Okay. And I'll look it up to give credit to the to the person who wrote it. But basically said that if the argument is that arena ice is beneficial to people like Nunavut and Yukon, could you not also make the case that if seven games are good for them... Is it not arguable that 11 games, guaranteeing 11 games for someone like Stacey Curtis, is actually more of a benefit? I would say no, but that's sort of the case that's being made. I, I do understand what you mean. Oh, look at this guy, popular. Yeah, but, right? uh, but at the same time, you're giving everybody the chance to do something. And I, I do think that five sheets wouldn't be bad. Maybe you give the territories one entry. I don't know. I, I like the idea of having every territory and province represented. Mm-hmm. Maybe they take Northern Ontario away. No, don't yell at me, Northern Ontario <laughs> people. I, I, it's, that's <laughs> never going to happen. There's it's too much too history. It is They're too, too good. good. They're too good. Like if, like, th- this is the thing that blows my mind. People who say, oh, we don't want the territories. They're bad teams. Just take away Northern Ontario. Northern Ontario... On the men's side, it's, it's probably too soon on the women's side, but Kristen McCarvel's made it to a final. Mm-hmm. Like, on the men's side, they win. Like, they have... Northern Ontario has won more than other provinces. Like, they have great players and a history of great players. So if the point is to not get rid of good teams or to have the best field possible, getting rid of Northern Ontario makes no sense if that's the ultimate goal. I, I agree. And and like you say, that it's steeped in history. There There's two curling associations that each send their champion. So uh, as far as I'm concerned, that's not even a discussion. No, I, I agree. So the article actually, so it's Melissa Martin. Okay. Um, so she's the writer from the Winnipeg Free Press. I would encourage everybody to go read that. She makes some compelling points in the way it was structured. I think what I think the most compelling point that she makes is that going from pool A to pool B in those first four days, it doesn't really allow for clear storylines to develop because hmm. you're not weaving a single narrative. There's sort of two parallel tracks that you have to follow, both, which makes it difficult for TSN and I think for the print journalists who are there who are trying to write, and perhaps for viewers, maybe, that you see the people in the morning, the game in the afternoon doesn't affect the people in the morning, you know, like, like so there's no, there's, there's no connection between the two pools necessarily. 
Yeah, I wonder, as you mentioned the other day, if having both pools on the Play ice at the same, same time. time, but then you're still going to run into the same thing where the one game doesn't affect the other game. Right. You know, I mean, yeah, okay, they're out there at the same time. They see each other in the locker room, but but you're still running up against not, yeah. not having the, the two paths cross yeah so so and i don't know what the answer is i mean i, I kind of i don't mind this because when people say oh every province should pay everybody else well one they haven't been doing that for the past four years three provinces have gone home mm-hmm. right away so that that's been going on for a while now if you want every province to play everyone else then the players have to be on board for at least 13 games right uh at the very yeah. least that's tough to pull off logistically and I don't know like and, and with all due respect did anyone really miss the fact that we didn't have a Newfoundland Labrador against like Nunavut game or whoever like like honestly like is there was there a matchup at this event a potential game that you wanted to see that you didn't see yeah I know what you're saying and as somebody that comes from Ontario, who has lived in BC and Quebec and Alberta, I didn't have anybody that I was like, boy, I really want to see that Quebec versus BC game because, boy, that rivalry is real great. Right. Or I mean, the best teams still played each other. And I know Quebec played BC. Right. But, but like at the end of the week, the best teams all played each other. So we didn't yeah. have a like if you go through from Saturday to Friday and. Michelle Englott doesn't play Jennifer Jones, or Casey Scheidegger doesn't play against Carrie Anderson. Yeah, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. But they played each other. The best teams all played each other. Mm -hmm. The only argument that I think you can make against it is that they were playing each other at the same time. So where there was a struggle perhaps to find TV games early in the week, late in the week you had this surplus and there were games that people probably would have wanted to see that TSN just couldn't show logistically because mm-hmm. they're all stacked at the end. But, I, I, I mean, I, I don't know what the answer is. I don't think after one event that this format has enough of a sample size to say that it doesn't work. I agree with you. And like you said, the, the best case for this is that, is that all the games were stacked up at the end and that the excitement built... And by the end of the week, we were seeing the best teams playing against each other. Right. And I think that's the point. And, and we have to remember, too, that I think the, these national championships, the p- purpose of them is different than the Grand Slams. Mm-hmm. Like the Grand Slams are designed to put the best teams in the country or in the world against each other. The national championship is not designed to do that and has arguably never been that because, let's be honest, there were some provincial finals yesterday and in the women's as well that – both teams, whoever would have gone in a national championship, are probably going to make the playoffs. Like, like there are provinces that are just better than other provinces. So if you if you want a national championship that has the best teams, then we have that. It's called the Canada Cup, and let them go to the World Championship. Exactly, exactly. But but for me, uh, the way the format is now, I think it's fine. We've got to give it time to breathe. Yeah, and. You know, maybe in three years, four years, we'll just come to think of this as the norm, and that's okay with me. Yeah, and no one, I, and I realize different history, no one gets up in arms about this at the, the juniors where there's pool play, mm-hmm. and everyone seems satisfied with that. So who, who knows? We'll see what happens. The goal, if the goal is to also grow the game in the north, this is a good step. 
I think so. so. I think so. One tweak I might make is throw away the records against the people that didn't make the championship pool. Right. We we didn't get to the Saturday, but it didn't wouldn't have made a difference. Uh, in computing the records, no, it wouldn't have made the, made a difference. All of the teams that made the playoffs would have had five and two records. Right. So it's okay, you know, the way it was. I think the Alberta team would have been four and three versus the five the five and two. Yeah. So they still would have missed, but. I, I don't like putting more weight on, or not more weight, but having wins count against teams that not everybody played. Right. And I get, yeah, I can see that. That makes sense to me as well. But yeah, there are tweaks to be made. I wouldn't just throw this out just with the bathwater, you know, the baby with the bathwater situation. Fix the tweaks or fix the minor problems, tweak it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Hopefully they can make it so that people aren't as upset. And let's be honest, the wild card edition was. It's good, right? It's another good team. So it's another good team. Change the name, though. <laughs> sure, let's change the name. It's not. It's not hard. So, anyway, uh, briefly, uh, unless you have any more thoughts on the Scotties, I, I think uh, I think it was great. Okay, so briefly around the country yesterday, all the men's or most of the men's provincials. Uh, the only one I think that has not been resolved yet is Northern Ontario. That starts in the next couple of days, finishes next Sunday. Let's just assume that Brad Jacobs wins this with all due respect to my friend Gavin Jameson, who's playing second for a different team in that event. Let's just assume Jacobs wins. Briefly, are you excited about this field? I think it's a good field. I think having Brad Gushu come back as Team Canada might weaken the field overall, given we don't know what will come out of Newfoundland. So, you know, it might be a little bit weaker than usual, but yeah. I, I mean, we're getting the wild card. It's going to be McEwen against Gunlickson yeah. all, in all likelihood. Unless one of them declines for whatever reason. Sure. So we'll have another team in that's also quite good. Yeah. And frankly, I mean, we're going to probably see the wild card team in the playoffs again. Probably, yeah. And But let's hope. I mean, Mike McEwen... You know, God bless him for playing yesterday afternoon. Uh, I mean, yes, chicken pox, obviously, there's marks on you. Like, that's what the chicken pox are. Uh, so they were there. But what I noticed watching, he looked like he lost, like, 10 pounds mm-hmm. when he was in the hospital. He looked really skinny. Uh, so hopefully he's feeling better And for that for that wild card game. And if they get in, that he's, he's sort of up to, like, he's got some strength back and he can make it through the week i mean he's got about a month to recover so yeah he's got time he's got time so hopefully uh hopefully that good and good for mike McEwen and good for team McEwen for getting there with only three of them yeah Uh, i think they should have told them just hey get out of here yeah we don't need you we're good enough without you uh so we'll talk about the briar when it comes up over the next couple weeks we will give you some previews what we expect from the olympics we're going to do them all separately so we're going to do the mixed doubles which starts thursday here and I think in Korea too so maybe it's Wednesday night here Wednesday overnight Uh, so we'll we'll do a preview of the mixed doubles and then next week before the men's and the women starts two separate podcasts one for the men one for the women we'll get those out and then after the Olympics we'll give all of our Olympic thoughts so that's our schedule coming up for the next couple weeks as we go into arguably the most fun Two weeks of curling. Well, a great curling tournament coming up. Great, uh, biggest bond spiel in the world. Yeah, and all the teams have safely arrived, at least to Japan. I don't know if they're in Korea as yet, because they're all going to Japan first. But we know that they're in Japan, so we're looking forward to that. So, with that, Scotty, we have to go play. Yeah, we got a big game tonight. <laughs> we, big game. We, we talk about who's good, who's not good, and then we go and like just 
pitch shots into the boards. Hey, do you speak for yourself, bud? Yes, I'm not. I'm not very good. So, <laughs> uh, so congratulations to Team Jen Jones. Good luck to John Morris, Caitlin Laws, and the mixed doubles when it kicks off in a couple days. We'll talk to you. I think we'll drop on Wednesday with our mixed doubles preview for the Olympics. And until then, keep your brooms on the ice. Don't dump that intern. Make the final.